Welcome to the Sacred Ancestry Podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Worm, and today we have Kelly Morarty, and uh, I'm so excited for her story because she's a veterinarian by trade and got burned out and overwhelmed and had some anxiety going on with, with, the, uh, with the profession, and now she's a yoga teacher, has a gym with her husband, and just an amazing story of transformation from anxiety to a beautiful life. And uh, yeah, can you tell us more about yourself, Kelly? Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I sure can. Uh, So my name's Kelly. And yeah, when I was growing up, uh, being a vet was, it wasn't, you know, the thing that I was really, really wanting to do, but it ticked a lot of boxes for me. I wanted to do something where I was using my brain. I was always very good academically. I wanted to do something scientific, something that would be helpful. Uh, And I'll be honest, I wanted to have a profession that was, you know, perhaps a certain status or, you know, well-respected profession. And so I went into veterinary science and and it's a five-year degree and it's pretty (laughs) full-on. It's like having a full-time job, just doing the study. Uh, And then when I graduated, I moved across the country to the other side and Australia is a big country (laughs) over to Western Australia to work in mixed practice because I wanted to do farm animals as well as as small animals Uh, and I realized pretty quickly that the veterinary industry uh, when I started out I was really thrown in the deep end and uh, I think that's quite the norm actually (laughs) I was uh, you know doing surgeries uh, with very little kind of support or help doing a lot of after hours work, um, visiting farms and coming into the clinic in the middle of the night to do cesareans and things like that. This was all in my first year out of school. So it was very full on, but, but I always had this drive in me that, you know, I can do it. I've just got to work really hard and improve myself and all of those things. So I spent a couple of years there and uh, had a holiday back to the East Coast where my parents were staying. And, and when I got back, I realized, oh, I'm really unhappy here. <laughs> I'm working way too hard for very little money uh, and and I can't see anything changing. So I decided to move across the country with my partner who I'd met over there. And we moved back to the East Coast and, and then I started working in more small animal practice. And whilst I didn't experience the same level of kind of full-onness as uh, working in a mixed practice where you always on call, always working overtime, um, very kind of masculine workplace as well. Uh, you know, you can imagine a 20-something-year-old girl turning up at a farm <laughs> to treat the cow and the farmer looks at you and, you know, they're used to getting getting the boss out who's a 50-year-old man who's been out to the farm for 20 years. Um, it, it was a tough it was a tough industry to to go out in, but I really had this drive of like, I've got to prove myself, you know, um, and I know I can do it and I'm just going to work really hard and, and I'll stay back even later than everybody else and I'll I'll do all the extras just to just to prove myself. Um, and when I went into the small animal practice, to be honest, it was similar, <laughs> but in a different way. Uh I think it was really just about the culture of the industry. It was just work, 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 but still very, very masculine, unfortunately. Most of the practice owners were men. And so um, in my class, you know, most of the vet students were women. It was largely 
female dominated, uh, but all, all of the practice owners and all of the, the bosses and the employers were male. So there was still, uh, it was still a tough, tough industry from that perspective, but then also the hours, the lack of lunch breaks, the, the staying back two, three hours after work um, because, you know, patients need you and, and you do what you've got to do. And yeah, I got to a point where it was just not sustainable for me anymore. Um, and everything kind of came to a head. Prior to that, I really felt, I felt like that was just the norm, you know, just to, everyone got stressed out, everyone got headaches, everyone had backache, everyone, you know, whinged about their jobs and all of those kinds of things. Um, and surely everyone came home at the end of the day and just slumped onto the couch and, and hoped it was the weekend soon. Uh, and, and I didn't really, I couldn't see outside of the the life that I was living and the life that I'd created, if that makes sense. Wow. Yeah. I think that's so common for so many people to, you know, what I'm really hearing about your story is it really became a normalized anxiety, a normalized overwork, a normalized burnout in this I think there's so many people out there that are, you know, just hoping it's the weekend every single day at work. And, and, uh, I, I love the way you phrase that. And, and I'm curious on like, how did your anxiety manifest? Like what was your anxiety about and what were some things that helped you really overcome that in your journey? I previously, uh, experienced anxiety in different ways and I'd never really, pinned it down to being anxiety I guess I'd always um I'd always been an anxious type uh where I was just very perfectionist high achieving people pleasing um and (laughs) uh and then during high school and university I actually started um picking at my face which might sound a bit odd (laughs) however uh for me it was just sort of something that you did Uh, you know everyone gets pimples or whatever but but for me it really became a problem and I would do it habitually and compulsively and eventually I actually went to see a psychologist about it after a friend suggested that I do it and and when I went to see the psychologist actually uh they kind of looked at me a bit funny and had to google what i was saying because perhaps it's not that common however it turned out it was just as an obsessive compulsive kind of manifestation of of anxiety and so that's when i really started to think okay well there's there is something going on here and and probably that was like like i said a manifestation of um an anxiety that i'd probably been carrying around with me for a long time and really didn't realize because you you don't you know you don't really know uh, if something's say normal or abnormal or heightened or whatever if it's your reality it's just the way things are for you and so when I started to look into that and start reading and and take things into my own hands I, I realized that my anxiety response and and uh will touch on that if that's all right in a moment but my anxiety response was definitely very heightened and a lot of the things that I would was doing you know the overworking the the seeking validation and and trying to prove myself and all of these behaviors as well as other things you know the reasons that we do all of the things we do whether it's our eating habits or working out or um, the way that we 
speak in our relationships you know a lot of that stuff can can come from uh anxiety and and if we have this heightened anxiety response then it can filter out into these other areas of our lives and and until we something kind of makes us think about it it's just normal for us and so i just wanted to to say that i say anxiety response because a big part of what i do in in coaching women with this is getting them to understand that anxiety is actually a really natural response in the human brain and so i i never really i'll catch myself occasionally but i don't like to say that i have anxiety I say that I experience anxiety because I think that everybody experiences some level of anxiety. It's a, it is a survival response in the human brain. But for some of us, we're just much more prone to experiencing it and then obviously experiencing all of the symptoms and, and stuff that goes with it uh, as well. And so that's, I suppose, what I was noticing in my life is a lot of the things that I was doing that I was trying to fix. And when it came to kind of crunch time with my vet job, you know, I had chronic back pain, I had gut issues, I was constantly becoming unwell, I had, you know, get three or four colds every year. Um, and and when I really dug into it, I realized that at the root of all of those things, even though for my back, I was going to see, you know, a physiotherapist, I was going to see an osteopath, I was I even tried acupuncture. Um, I tried all these modalities just for my back. And then when it came to these gut infections, you know, I was going to the doctor, I was going to this person and that person. But at the root of everything was was this stress, anxiety, kind of burnout continuum that I was sitting on. And I was I realized that I was just constantly pushing myself towards that burnout end of the scale. And so if I wanted to get on top of all of the little things in my life that that were that I felt I needed to fix really I had to go back and look at my anxiety response and and my stress levels and really take a look at what I was doing in my life how I was spending my time and energy and figure out if it was actually what I wanted or not wow that's such an amazing story and you know for me personally my healing journey the last couple of years has been based around anxiety as well and and for me it really manifested all the way into, you know, back pain, neck pain, uh, basically inflammation across the whole body, gut issues. Um, I had dilated pupils and headaches and fevers. I mean, it got really serious at, by the end of before I kind of cleared out my anxiety and, and started getting better. But what's so amazing is, is like what you're saying is that you went to all these medical professionals and, and I'm curious, was that helping or was it more the mindset, the mind shift that was the ultimate uh, change for you? Yeah, I think you hit it on the nail, <laughs> hit the nail on the head there, because uh, one of the things that was so frustrating, for example, with my back pain was, you know, by that point, I was practicing yoga regularly. I've always been a fit, healthy person who's played sports and done all sorts of things. But at that point, I'd been practicing a type of yoga I certified as a yoga teacher as, as that first yoga certificate and I had a scientific medical degree you know I knew the anatomy of the body I know how inflammation works I know I had this wealth of knowledge and I couldn't figure it out you know why couldn't I fix my back it just drove me insane and so I went 
specifically or, or more so I went down the physiotherapy route and so I was getting all of these things that I needed to do these exercises specific muscles I need to work on and that's what my scientific brain wanted you know I wanted to know the exact muscle that was too tight and all I had to do was stretch it right and then that would make me better um, and I would have gone so many times over the course of a year or two yeah would have easily been two years and and each time I might get a little shift and nope it wouldn't get better or it would get worse or it would change to a different thing and I just couldn't get on top of it and I was so frustrated because I felt like I'm a smart person I know the body <laughs> why can't I figure this out and uh, like you said you know I really it was the mindset shift that that had to happen uh, I really had to come at it from a completely different angle and I think if you've um, until until you get to that point where you have to consider other options or what you believe in isn't working, it's really hard to listen to someone saying, "Oh, you have back pain. You know, you need to, you know, help your anxiety or your, control your stress levels." You know, that sounds crazy to to you until you get to the point where you've done all the other stuff and it hasn't worked. <laughs> Yeah, and and you know I think you're you're really hitting at something I wanted to ask you. And, and earlier uh, before the the podcast, we were talking about you know how this medical degree that you had in in veterinarian uh, was really medicalized, right? Like maybe your mindset was med- medicalized in that in that way, coming from the degree, and and you found alternative therapies to help you. And, and I'm just curious on like what was that journey like to go from from more of this doctor mindset to maybe something slightly different, more alternative, you know, like you're saying that this experience really challenged your beliefs. And I, I'm, I'm curious if it challenged your beliefs kind of about everything, you know, mind, body, spirit, you know, from everything in your life to all the way down to the spiritual, right? Yeah, it really did. Uh, it really, yeah, it, it took a long time. As you can imagine, I guess if when you've spent five years at university studying studying medicine and then five years in in the medical field uh, even though I wasn't in human medicine and I, I would think perhaps that uh, perhaps it was a little easier for me to pull out of that mindset than it would be for someone in the human medical professions uh, because I wasn't quite as immersed and the people around me you know you're very influenced by the people around you right that's your norm your normality is that a word that's your reality and what's normal for you so uh so perhaps it was a little bit easier for me to to pull away however I think uh that the people that I started to associate with did have a big impact on that mindset shift beginning to happen so uh, there was a couple of people really and and it came initially through the yoga uh, so just starting to explore yoga and thinking about how things work and connect mind, body, just holistically really and energetically. Uh, and then then when I started teaching and actually shifted away from the veterinary career and actually started spending more time in yoga studios and gyms and um, natural health places, then I was really immersed with people who thought differently. And so that became more my reality and so it became much easier then to shift that mindset and to open myself up to considering a different way of actually going about looking after myself and and, and seeking therapies 
it helps, I guess, that I've always been a little fearful of doctors. And uh, I think I mentioned before the show that I have a needle phobia. So <laughs> if I can avoid going to, to a doctor's surgery, I definitely will. So it's always been in me to seek out natural therapies that make sense in my brain. If we can keep things as natural as possible, that, that makes sense to me. But it did take a long time to to actually peel myself away from that medicalized way of, of seeing things, which is really that, you know, everything is from a textbook and and when you have a problem, you just go to the textbook <laughs> and you do the thing that it says in the textbook, you know, rather than, okay, here's a person uh, and what's going on with that person rather than, okay, what's wrong with the back? Let's fix the back. Really, we need to be sort of stepping back and going, okay, what's going on with the person that's manifesting in the back? And uh, if I could hear myself probably 10-something years ago, I probably would have thought, oh, what's she on about, you know? Uh, but now I know it to be true in my own body, so it, it makes it very easy to, to believe. <laughs> so I'm curious if this really raised maybe your attention or your awareness to you know, and I imagine the medical system is completely different in Australia. I really don't know. But here in the States, it's really all about if you go to a medical doctor, MD, a Western doctor, right, they're going to, like you said, just parse out the whole body and look at an ailment and say, what can we do? What pill can we use for this? And there's no, I guess some of my experience, you know, I've been to the doctor here in the last 10 years, right? And it's, it's, they're never even looking at you. They don't even look at you. They're looking at their clipboard or their computer. And there's, there's not even a connection with the the doctor at all. And I'm curious if this, you know, in my mind, I think this is kind of the foundation of the healthcare crisis in our country is that we don't have a medical care system that's necessarily helping us. Right. And I'm curious on just your opinion on that coming from, you know, across seas and, and in Australia and, and your view on the States as well. Yeah, um, you probably brought up quite a few points there that I could talk on. I suppose in Australia, we are lucky in that we have a free medical system where where you can access healthcare if needed and for life-saving uh, and med- you know, medical emergencies, essentially you'll get looked after here. Um, but, of course, all of the other stuff, you know, the, ran- the, the random things or the just more regular things, uh, then then it depends which path you take. However, it is very fragmented, as you were kind of saying, when you go to, it's certainly been my experience, when you go to a doctor, um, it's very rare that they they kind of sum up the whole person or have a proper look. And I think um, similarly to the veterinary industry, time pressure is a big part of that uh you know often we're scheduling in 10 minute consultations well it's very hard to get to the bottom of a problem in 10 minutes and then give out the you know remedy or talk about how to to make changes and that kind of thing inside of that consultation time so I do understand that but at the same time it's definitely been my experience and since having my son you know I've been to the doctors just only a couple of times I think and and very much the same as you suggested, you know, they're just looking at their computer, asking the questions from the script, um, and that's about it. And then talking about the medications that you might need. <laughs> but, I mean, from a yoga perspective and just being uh, the work that I do in the gym and seeing people uh, in that way for nutrition and things like that, 
often people will come into the gym or yoga, for example, and, and they've, they've got an issue. Uh, say, let's just go down the back pain route again. And they'll say, oh, the doctor sent me for an MRI. So they go somewhere and have the MRI and then they go back to the doctor and then the doctor says, I'm sending you to see the surgeon. So then they go to see the surgeon. They have a consultation with the surgeon. And often when, and it happens all the time, but often when people say that to me, I don't perhaps physically shudder in front of them, (laughs) but I certainly internally shudder because I think if you're going to see a surgeon, it's very likely that they're going to talk to you about surgery because that's what they do. Uh, And if you go to see a medical doctor, they're going to talk to you about medicine because that's what they do. That's what they're trained in disease and and the medicines that will help. Uh, And so it's, it is very hard to go to a doctor and actually get looked at properly and, and have all of the things considered and then have some kind of a clue as to what to do next. Um, yeah, and it is endlessly frustrating for me, that's for sure, and I'm sure it is for many, many other women, certainly a lot of the women that I speak to. Um, it's really hard to to get anywhere because everything is done somewhere different. And that's a big difference in the veterinary industry. In in the veterinary industry, when you bring your animal in to see, say, me, uh, and your dog needs an X-ray, blood tests, and it needs some pathology done or maybe a surgery, you know, I'm going to do all of those things. <laughs> I'm taking the X-rays. I'm reading the X-rays. I'm taking the blood draw. I'm putting it through the machine. I'm reading the results. You know, so I'm getting a really good overview of the whole, the whole animal. You know, and and then if my patient and my client goes to another veterinary clinic, that clinic will call me and say, hey, this dog's turned up. I can see they they said that, you know, you used to be their vet. Can you send me the history? I said, yeah, sure. And so then I'll go and get the nurse or receptionist. Can you send Buster's history, full history over to this veterinary clinic because they've just turned up there? And so their entire medical and surgical and everything history goes to that new doctor. Whereas I'm not sure in the US, in Australia, they've only just started with it's uh, called some my my health record or something like that. That a database has only just been sort of created to allow other doctors to see if you've been, you know, what you've been doing with other doctors. And so up until very recently, and and a lot of people actually opted out of it for security reasons and and things like that as well. But you could go to five different doctors in a day and get the same prescription for the same medication from every single one of them because there was no communication between between doctors. (laughs) And as a vet, that's crazy to me because who's who's really looking after that person? Right. Yeah. I think that's such a, such an amazing perspective just from the vet world and, and wow, just to hear about how you're doing all the testing, the the X-rays, the surgeries, the top to bottom of the of the animal. That is that is amazing. I can see where the time and pressure is is really hardcore. And uh, you know, I kind of want to shift a little bit into what you're doing now, and and I want to just start with yoga and, and tell us more about your yoga journey and what kind of yoga you're doing and how yoga has really changed your life. I will talk about yoga all day, Tom. <laughs> so I started uh, with I started practicing yoga 
I've always had had an inkling for it. And so I had, uh, when I was little, I had a video VHS and I had a little book that I would use. And so I've always sort of been uh, interested, yoga curious. And then I practiced a little bit when I went to Western Australia for my first uh, job, veterinary job over there. I didn't realize the type of yoga at the time, but then it became apparent later on. And then when I moved to back to the East Coast, I started going to hot yoga, which I thought at the time was just the most fabulous thing in the world. Uh, I got such a buzz from it. I felt really good uh, and I felt like surely this was going to help my back. And, and what happened was it got worse. Uh, and and I, again, and I've just added to the frustration because I thought, how can this be? You know, I'm a yoga teacher. I, I'm doing all this yoga and it's not helping. Um, and that's when I found Iyengar yoga, which is the, the yoga that I teach and practice now. And Iyengar yoga, if you don't know what it what it is, it's it's a style of yoga that was developed by a man called BKS Iyengar who passed away a few years ago. Uh, and when he was young, he was quite unwell. And their family in India couldn't afford a lot of medical treatment or seeking doctors, etc. So um, a family friend had said to them, you need to do yoga. And yoga is the way that, you know, the only way that you'll be able to improve your health uh, if you have don't have any money, you know. So he started practicing. And then, of course, over his life, uh, he, he taught right up into his 90s before he passed away. However, he was very... Uh, dedicated and practiced for hours every day. But over his lifetime, he he developed the use of props, which is all of the things that we see now, you know, even on Instagram, all the blocks and the belts and the bolsters and chairs and things like that. Uh, he really developed that system of using those props so that really anyone could do a pose and get the benefit out of it, even if they couldn't necessarily do the pose otherwise. Uh, and then he started seeing more and more students who had medical issues. Uh, he would then receive referrals from doctors or and, and doctors that he had as his students would say, you know, I've got this patient, they need this done. And he would say, give me three months, uh, otherwise you can have them back. And, you know, and so over his lifetime, decades of practice and experience, he became uh, very uh, good, I guess, or excellent at looking at a person and working with them and with their body and using the props and the postures in such a way that he could create a beneficial healing effect. And so now I practice and teach this style of yoga and it's very structured and it's very anatomical and alignment based and very precise in particular that from the outside, uh, other yoga practitioners often say, oh, Iyengar yoga, it's so strict and regimented and it's, it's, you know, they don't like it because of that view of things. However, it's because of that precision, uh, I really managed to heal and, and get my back, you know, really great, <laughs> really great. And, and I maintain it at that level now and I'm able to practice all the poses that I thought I would never be able to do because of that level of mindfulness and precision. But I guess the key thing is that it's about being acutely observant and aware and about really connecting and, and noticing what's going on in your body. And then when something comes up, whether that's a sensation or an intensity, actually trying to not get stuck in it but kind of just draw back a bit and say you know is that pain or is that discomfort uh, and is that 
pain or discomfort? Like what is it telling me? Because really everything that we receive from our body is information, right? And for most of us, especially in the Western world and particularly if you have a highly medicalized view and um, very mainstream, uh, we're really kind of taught to ignore our body's signals and that's what I did for many, many years. You know, I ignored the the fatigue and the low immune system and the back pain and the infections and all of these things that I was getting, I would, I would as best as I could just push them to the side and keep going because I felt like that was what you do, you know? And so yoga in that way really helped me to, um, yeah, just change my mindset around that and actually start paying attention to my body and then when you develop that and, and cultivate that through yoga practice, you then become very acutely aware of your body and what it's telling you. And so it means that you can actually preempt things, you know, rather than completely burning out. You can start to observe yourself and think, okay, my energy is getting actually really low. That's not a reason to have a double shot espresso or you know pick something up from the pharmacy it's actually a reason to slow down take a little bit more rest figure out where I'm overloaded and actually just change what I'm doing rather than masking symptoms so it's really interesting and I mean it was I don't know divine intervention or whatever but that that yoga came into my life and when I was as that kinesiologist friend said I was breaking open and kind of going through this um this shift in my life and and yoga helped so much in doing that because it really grounded me in my body and it gave me a physical discipline and practice to come back to and just keep getting in touch and just keep getting in touch uh, and it still it still does that for me for me now wow that is so amazing i love that story and and everything you put in there is is so wonderful and and i'm curious if the the yoga practice well, I guess I'll go back a little bit. For me, I, I truly believe that our body, like you said, is speaking to us every second of the day. And when we don't pay attention, it just festers and it gets our attention even harder until we finally notice, you know, an illness or a disease, right? But if we can just slow down and listen to our body and, and exactly like you're saying, you know, changing our routine or changing a food or changing something in our life, that that whole you know, mindset, that whole per perception can totally change. Right. And, and I guess I'm curious, I want to ask is if in yoga, in your practice, is there like, have you ever seen or witnessed or noticed inside yourself, you know, moving emotions, letting stuck emotions go uh, through the body, through the, uh, the yoga poses and things like that? Um, yes. And yes. So it's interesting because one of the things that drew me to Iyengar yoga and, and why I love Iyengar yoga is that it's very matter of fact. Um, the the spiritual stuff, the philosophy, it's really taught from a from a very practical uh, foundation. So when we teach beginners, we do a few standing postures. We get them to look at their feet, make sure they're pointing straight. Then we change our pose, we come back, and then we look at our feet and make sure they're still pointing straight. We get them to extend out into their arms and just sort of get them doing really basic things. And the practice just builds up and builds up. And and at the start, the, the, even Shavasana, which is, you know, the lying down at the end, just having that rest period, 
for beginners, it's very short and we talk the whole way through it because, and you, and you see this when you teach, when beginners come into the room and lie down and they're not doing anything, it's awkward in there. <laughs> they're fidgeting, but, you know, I've had one lady sit up and look at me as if to say, what am I supposed to be doing? You know, lying still or doing nothing is so foreign to us that we really have to start with just moving, move the body, feel feel how it moves, you know, make it move a bit more. And then once we kind of break down the stiffness in the body and start to get some connection, then we start introducing a bit more of the restorative, the slower stuff, uh, and then the pranayama, which is the breathing, that's, you know, comes after some time practicing the physical stuff. Because if you take someone off the street, this was, say, me 10 years ago, and you tell them to sit down and breathe, you know, that's just enough to cause a panic attack on its own <laughs> because we're just not used to it. And it's really all of a sudden we have to actually sit with ourselves and experience things and actually feel what's going on in our bodies and it's such a huge shock for most of us because we don't we're not practiced at it and we're actually for the most part encouraged against it uh, I, I believe as as we're growing up in a modern western kind of world there's a couple of ways I suppose that I've experienced a shift in my body one would be just literally over time in practice whereby um, it's interesting when I was doing that first kind of yoga, I would look up these really cool, really hard poses. And then I would look up, how do I get into that? And there'd be you know specific stretches and work on this and work on that. And eventually you can do this pose. Whereas in Iyengar yoga, it, you just keep doing the standing poses and the sitting poses, the basic stuff. And you do it more and more and more and you build up slowly and slowly and slowly. And what I found when I switched over to this type of yoga and then started practicing it, that that I had to then pull away and I really a lot of I used to do loads of arm balances and all of these kind of fun things that I thought were really cool um, and then when I started learning Iyengar yoga which is like a th almost three years to get certified as a teacher in Iyengar yoga it's very strict with how they do it uh, which is a great thing because it means your teacher is well experienced by the time they, they pass their exam um, but in that time, it was back to basics, you know, back to foundations. I remember going to my first Iyengar class and I got adjusted about 30 times by the teacher and I was already teaching yoga at that point. I was so mortified. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. And that really made me think, okay, I need to go and figure out more about this Iyengar yoga because obviously I'm not doing things right. And so it, it was funny because then after practicing going back to the basics learning 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 practicing so much so much practice leading up to that first exam and then say a year two down the track I realized that I really wasn't practicing many of those old those cool poses that I used to practice and then when I went to do them I found them really achievable I could just do them you know and so the shift that came with that happened just over time and practice and the same with my hips I remember um, trying to get into Padmasana which is that lotus pose you know one leg's coming up other leg over the top of it uh, it looks like the classic kind of yoga pose I remember very early on just thinking I would there must be something wrong with my body I will never get into that pose <laughs> because my hips just wouldn't allow it it was it was not possible um and it's only with years years of practice and persistence not at doing that pose but just generally practicing you know that now I can do it and I can't imagine really not being able to do it so that's it's really interesting 
in that way you say about kind of experiencing a shift that that shift came and and continues to come over over years of practice and then other times when I've experienced a, a quicker shift I guess the biggest one which I think probably you'll um you'll appreciate but I was doing my yoga teacher training with my Iyengar yoga teacher and we did a week-long retreat as part of the teacher training and every morning we had to get up and go into the hall at I don't know six o'clock or something it was dark it's winter and we'd lay out over the blankets to do I think it was about 45 minutes of pranayama which is breathing and the teacher would come in she would lead lead the breathing practice that was the first time I'd I'd committed to doing some breathing every day and um, and it's quite a big session <laughs> to do that every morning. However, over the course of that week and at that time my back had been still quite bad. I was really still struggling with it even though I was starting to learn this new Iyengar yoga which was new for me at the time. Over that week I really experienced a shift and and it was interesting because a couple of the sequences that we were practicing during the day, um, she would sort of say to me, uh, come over here. There's two of us that were having some back hip issues. You're going to do it this way. Do a couple of these things. That will just help settle things down. However, the bulk of the time we were just doing what everyone else was doing. There was nothing particularly special about how we were practicing that was physically helping my back. However, we were doing these long breathing sessions every morning. and. I really experienced a shift after that and I put it down to the fact that two things. One, every morning I was laying down and being acutely aware of my body and what was happening as I was breathing for a whole 45 minutes and I started to notice that if I didn't catch myself, when I breathed in, my left hip flexor would tighten and my left hip would start to lift up and draw towards me and I learned even just over that course of that week that as I inhaled I could catch it and let it go and and by the end of the week obviously that was easier to do it was still happening a little bit but it was easier to do so that was part of it but then also I think just the release of those secondary stabilizers in the body so the diaphragm uh, you know, it's deeper abdominal muscles that we really don't know about but are often just tight and tense with stress and anxiety in the way that we hold ourselves and we hold emotion in our bodies. The, the use of the breath in those pranayama sessions just really unlocked that part of my body and going forward from then, things have been really different. So... It's really interesting because it wasn't, I, I wouldn't have been able to get to that at the start, you know. Uh, at the start, it was like if I got a really good stretch, then, oh, I might feel like, oh, my hip's much more open then. But, of course, I wasn't doing really the, the deeper work. And so the tightness would just come back like a rubber band, you know. You stretch something and it just snaps back. And then you think, oh, I thought I stretched that. Why isn't it fixed? <laughs> but But I think that when you get to the bottom of these things even just physical muscular tightness and tension there's usually something else that's creating that you know something has to be triggering those muscles to be gripped and to be holding on and yeah I did experience that shift over that week um, because I was open to it and because I was 
able to lie down and be observant for that period of time, which at the start I definitely would not have been able to do. Oh, that is so cool. I love that story. And because the yoga really does allow you to come back into your body. And that's, that's kind of what I'm getting most out of, out of there is, is that you really learned how to come back into your body or that's the way I think of it anyway of, of, uh, you know, my journey with anxiety was, I was so far out in the future or so far in the past that I was never really aware of what was happening in my body at all. It was just, and when I came back, it was such a different experience to just breathe and be here now, right? And, uh, you know, I, I want to pivot here just a little bit and, and ask you, you know, how are you moving forward with this? You know, I know you're a yoga teacher and you own a gym and you have uh, a lot of courses with stress and anxiety. Like, how do you put all this together and help women with stress and anxiety? What does that look like? And what are some of the successes you've had with, with your clients? The uh, so I, it's interesting because it's you know COVID is happening right now and so uh, I'm sitting in my yoga studio now but there's no one around <laughs> um, there's no classes happening so I'm teaching online via Zoom which has been actually kind of nice um, it means I've been at home a lot more which I've enjoyed personally um, but also my students have been able to shift from just being instructed to actually being in their own space you know a lot of them set up a yoga room now they, they've got all the yoga props uh, and so it's given them a bit more confidence to be able to do this practice which you know in yoga that's our goal is to really help people to to learn the practice so that they can help themselves when they need to it's a lifelong practice so I feel actually it's been uh, a nice gift for for me and for my students in in the yoga sense because I feel it has taken them a step further to actually being able to make this a lifelong practice for themselves. So the yoga will uh, continue in some capacity. (laughs) And then other than that, uh, I have my online business called The Green Body Plan. And the the base for that, I guess, is is the Facebook group, which um, where I go live every week and just deliver uh, different videos about different topics, talked about hormones and um, how that manifests in in changes in energy and stress and anxiety and things like that, natural supplements, things that I've used, things that I use with my clients, things like that. And then I have a, a stress and anxiety course, which I released recently and a, a membership as well. So a monthly membership where we, as women, can get together online. We do a workshop um, and yeah, we just keep coming back to ourselves and, and learning new things about health and about, um, I really want to give women the, the, everyone talks about empowerment, I know, but I really want to give women the, the confidence in their own intuition. I think it's really important for women because um, particularly, you know, when I had my son, you know, that's a whole, <laughs> that's a whole different ball game when you become pregnant and then go through that journey into motherhood uh it's it's very easy to be sucked into this medical system that treats pregnancy as a disease and that it's it, everything's going to get go wrong unless you make sure you test for everything and you know to rule everything out and so particularly after that experience i really wanted to one be able to reach more women which is you know online is a great way to do that but also just to be able to transfer my knowledge and experience in stress and anxiety management but also 
really a lot of what we've been talking about, which is actually getting in touch with your body again, learning to listen and to be observant and not to actually fear um, things that we notice, but to be more curious about what's going on and, and investigative and, and just interested and, and come from a place of curiosity rather than of something's wrong with me. I need to go and seek some external thing to fix it. Uh, instead of that, building up our own knowledge and cultivating that intuition that we all have uh, and so that women can be more proactive in looking after their own health but also just to feel more confident and feel more okay about being being them being who they are and not needing to to go externally and go outward for these solutions when I feel like for the most part you know the answers are probably in front of us we just we've had our blindfolds and our earmuffs in for too long and so we just need to be just reconnecting and and you know keeping ourselves in touch but also just learning to observe and to pay attention and to to feel that intuition coming through so that we can act confidently from that that intuition rather than going to the textbook and and external stuff you know that makes sense. Yes, definitely. And and for my anxiety journey, uh, it manifested as hypochondriac, uh, very much so. And and so any little pain in a foot or pain in my back was so just devastating. Like, of course, I'm gonna die now because I have pain in my foot, right? That's where my mind would go every single time. And and it took so long to really come back, like you're saying, to that intuition of like, no, I can actually ask my body, like what do I need right now to help this pain go away? What do I need to change or how can I reframe this pain into something yeah. good? Right. And, and I think that's such a beautiful way, like you're saying is to bring these women back into their intuition and back into their body and, and really just, you know, it's so interesting the way you said that pregnancy is treated like a disease. I just cannot even imagine what that's like uh, for women. That's, that's a really interesting phrase. I feel like we could do, whole podcast on that right yeah. yeah that's so interesting and and uh you know i just yeah i just want to make sure i mirror that that the intuition and coming back to like no we can control our body we can control our thoughts and our feelings is so important and i just thank you for the work that you're doing it's it's just amazing thank you and and where can people find you where can they get in touch with you where can they enroll in your courses and all of that yeah, thanks, Tom. Uh, so the website is thegreenbodyplan.com and you'll find links to everything on there. Um, my podcast is The Green Body Podcast and if you are a, a woman who's um, resonating with my story and, and wanting some resources, some free resources or maybe just to jump on to those weekly videos, then the Facebook group is called Stress and Anxiety Management for Ambitious Women. So um, it's a really good community and I'm always in there um, discussing things and, and delivering loads of good stuff in there. So that's definitely the place to, to jump into as well. That's so awesome. And, and, you know, from my point of view, for everybody listening out there, if, if you're in wildland fire and you're a woman, you know, I, I know I've seen it, you know, with my 14 years out there on the line, it's, it's, it sounds like the exact same, you know, 
almost the same environment that Kelly's talking about. This masculinity is just overwhelming. Um, it's really hard to prove yourself to everybody. And there's, there's so many parallels with what you're talking about, Kelly, and, and the struggle that wildland fire uh, women have. I think they really should reach out to you because you could be a powerful coach for them. And, and I think there is a lot of anxiety being surrounded by men and, and being in that environment is just so hard for some people. And, and um, I just encourage all of you listening to really reach out. And, and if you need help with anxiety and yoga, this is, this is your girl here, Kelly. So <laughs> thank you so much for, for the podcast and this amazing conversation. And, and do you have any last thoughts you want to, you want to put out there before we close out? Uh, I suppose I'll just come back to the point of anxiety being a natural natural response of the human brain and I think um, the the standard medical or external reach for some kind of fix is that we take take away the symptoms of anxiety and with medication and and what I like to really get across to people is that you know anxiety is such a, a human function of the brain uh, that it's we've had it for thousands and thousands of years and so we're not looking to get rid of it and in fact getting rid of that anxiety response would be dangerous to our survival and the way our brain works so so I think that's really the first reframe or mindset shift that we need to have when we're thinking about anxiety is not this problem that we've been diagnosed with or this disease that we've you know picked up somewhere that it's just a natural thing going on in our our system uh, and so that if we can understand it better then we can start to figure out what triggers it why it perhaps is an over response or a hyper response and then what we can do to actually take take matters into our own hands and actually help ourselves out so I think the, the best thing about this whole everything we've talked about you know is is feeling a sense of control when we don't have a sense of control over what we're experiencing it's very scary and it's not a very nice place to to be in and a nice way to live so if we can create a sense of control which we absolutely can um, it's a much nicer way to to go about life and that really starts with understanding uh, that anxiety is a natural response in the human body and, and go from there I love it. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and, and bringing us wisdom. And I really appreciate everything you've said. And, and I love your story. And uh, you're welcome to come back to the podcast anytime. And it'll be an amazing conversation. I know it. And uh, for the listeners, thank you for listening. And you can find me at mountainmindtricks.com and Thomas M. Worm on Facebook. And you can find everything else from there. And, and uh, please, I encourage you to just to go out there and go find your sacred ancestry. All right, we'll talk to you on the next one.